<clears throat> well, good morning. There's so many more people in second service than first service. It's so much more intimidating. But I'm glad that you are all here. And um, so today I want to talk about, uh, let me see, the hand of God and how we can see the hand of God in our lives. Because I think that if you can truly see God's hand moving in your life, it changes our behavior, it changes the way we see things, it changes our relationship with the Lord. And I feel like we have to, as a people, truly uh, start looking for God's hands in, in, um, in our lives. So I want to get right into it and start with Romans 8, 28. Let's see. Let's see if it's working. All right, help me. Okay, perfect. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, this is a promise that God has given all believers. It's saying that he works all things together for his good. But what happens whenever God makes a promise to us in his word, the enemy wants to come in and discredit it and discount it. And he's done this since the beginning of time, even in the Garden of Eden with um, Eve. He takes scripture and he just slightly misinterprets it. And I believe that this verse is one that is very misinterpreted because I know for myself when I read that verse, I read it as all things work out well for myself. And I love that version, but what that version does is says, if I have a problem at work, God's going to fix those people so it benefits me. And if my husband and I are fighting, God's going to humble him because it's going to benefit me because that is what works out well and good for me. But that is actually not at all what that verse is saying. It's saying that in all things, we don't get to choose the things. It's all of them, the good and the bad. Nowhere in that verse does it talk just about the good things that God does. It's saying that the bad things in our lives, God uses for those that he loves. In James 1, verse 2, uh-oh, hold on. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And I don't know about you, but that is a verse that I don't understand. I don't get when we're in the darkest part of our lives that we can experience this joy that he talks about. When I'm going through our time, you are going to know about it. You're going to know every detail about it, and it's not going to be in a joyful manner. It is going to be loud and obnoxious, and it is, it's who I, I am. I want you to feel the type of pain I am in as well. And yet God is saying that we have to consider it joy. First Peter, it clears it up quite a bit. He says, uh-oh, this is not working. Can you flip it? Okay. First Peter says, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That I can understand more. Because when God's glory and his honor is revealed, the natural byproduct of that is joy. 
Now, I do the youth group at the church, and let me tell you, when one kid in that youth group makes a step, makes an understanding of the things of the Lord, there is such joy that is produced within leaders. The Bible says that there's no greater joy than to see our children walk in the truth, and it's so true. When you see God's hand working in your life or others' lives, it produces joy. And so what this scripture is saying is that when we go through trials, you're going to have joy because you're going to see God work. You're going to see God move. So if we can change our perspective and look for the hand of God in our circumstances, it's going to change how we go through hard times. It's going to change how we walk through the darkness of our lives. God's light shines the absolute brightest in the darkest times. It's just the way that it is, and we have to be able to look at that and change our perspective. So I want to talk to you guys a little bit about a, a, a trip that my son Kyle had bar back in March. He uh, decided to go on spring break with some of his friends, and they decided to fly out to California. <clears throat> for a few days, and they had lots of things planned. And what was interesting is that they left on a Friday, and on Wednesday, the Lord woke me up about 5 in the morning with a, an urgency to pray for my son. Now, I'm like most of you mothers. We all pray for our children. But this was different. It was a, it was a, a, a feeling of I need to pray for protection for Kyle's life, and I don't normally get that. And so I, I got up, and I, and I prayed for him, and I prayed for him some more, and I didn't think much of it. And then the next day, the same thing. About 5 in the morning, I was woken up with this urgency to pray for the protection of my son's life. Unbeknownst to me, my mother was also woken up with the same type of uh, prayer for my son. We didn't even talk about it. It's just sometimes that happens. So we, we prayed, and um, when he went to California... I don't know about your children, but when the minute my kids leave for college, they turn off their locations on their phone. Apparently, I stalk them. And to me, I don't think it's stalking. I, you know, I think it's great to have a comment or two of where they are, and I want to know what they're having for lunch. And, but apparently, that's offensive to them, so they quickly shut off their location on their phone. And that day, when he got to California, he sent me his location. And I thought it was an accident, so I didn't say anything. But I quickly figured out where he was, and he was 2,800 miles away in California. And I thought, that is so far. That is such a far way. But I also thought my prayers clearly worked because he made it safely to California. You know, maybe my, my prayer stopped a bird from going into the engine of the, of the jet plane, or maybe there would have been some mix-up. I don't know, but I thought, okay, check. My prayers are done. So I want to show you this video, and it's, it's um, the boys decided to go to Yosemite National Park, and they decided to climb up El Cap, which is a big mountain or whatever you will see. And I want to show you this video of five goofy college boys. They made it to the top of the mountain, and I want you to see how high up they were and what their experience so far was on their spring break. Can you play that? Alright. We're up here on top of El Capitol. Right, Josh? You made it. You made it. <sighs> what are your thoughts, Jake? It's a lot of work. Kyle, oh, what we got? Small boulder whizzed by my head, but I wasn't worried. Yeah, we had a few near death experiences. I I swayed. Free falling in Mitch's arms as he oh, swung me. Tarzan, what's it called? Tarzan. Kyle almost got killed by a uh, 
Hey, Boulder. Kyle, what are you? What, what's, give me the content, commentary on the Boulder. Uh, that's down downhill. Uh, boulder came rolling at me. Didn't see it till last second. Jumped out of the way. It was like a movie, but a uh, real life. All right, Josh. Any any final comments, tour guide? Well, did a horrible job as a tour guide. Josh, don't say that. Led my people spot. astray, wandering in the the desert for 40 years. But Rich is a great view. Rich is finding food up there. We have a great view. Show him the view, Cole. Let's see the view. How do we flip this thing? Right here. Do you flip it? I think I take a picture. Rich keeps yelling, bring his jacket. I don't know where his jacket is. Oh, take pictures of me. Wow. Well, when he said get it. There you have it. Tarzan signing off. I don't know if we're going to make it down. So that's where the boys were, way up on top. And, and I think that when, when things happen in the natural, I think that God shows us things in the supernatural. And, and that is basically what I teach the youth group. You keep your eye on the prize, which is the top of that mountain. You keep your eye straight on the Lord. But you know the danger. You know God's scheme. You know the enemy's schemes on your life as well. So you know the dangers. And when you don't see the dangers, you surround yourself with other Christian guys that can speak into your life and have your back and keep you accountable. And that's exactly what they did. See, they made it up that mountain. And they had each other's backs and they watched out for the danger. That's exactly what we do in the spiritual. But the problem is, if the story ended right there, I would have still showed this video, but my sermon would have been called The Power of Prayer. Because, see, my prayers stopped that boulder from hitting Kyle's head. See, a large boulder rolled down toward him, and he jumped out of the way. Why? Because I was up for two nights praying for that boy. But that's not where the story ended. These boys knew the danger, and they took even extra precautions. They started their trek down, and they were on a cliff about 30 feet going straight down. And because Kyle almost got hit by the rock, they said, you know what? We're going to go down one at a time. We're going to have five points of contact. They're going to go on their butts, and they're going to sh shimmy on down. And no one's going to go behind them, and they're going to go all the way down, and they're, they're going to go over here and wait for the next one so that no rocks can get dislodged. So one by one, they went down, one at a time. And when it was Kyle's turn, there was absolutely no one behind him. And he started his descent down the cliff, <clears throat> and as he did that, a rock from way up on top started going down the mountain. And it started getting some momentum. And it was heading straight for my son's head. And at that moment, the Lord could have sent a mosquito to bite Kyle on the ankle so that he leaned down to smack it. And that rock could have shot right by his head. He could have sent Kyle a sneeze at that exact moment, so he pushed his head down, and that rock could have whizzed by his head. He is the God of the universe who stopped tons of storms. He could have certainly sent a little gale of wind to move that rock one quarter of an inch off course and have it whiz by his head, but he didn't. That rock hit Kyle's head so hard that it knocked him completely unconscious, and he slid down the rest of his uh, the way on his back, cutting up his back. When he opened his eyes, he was completely blind, could not see a thing. His friends at the bottom saw what had happened, and they sent the best climber up to help Kyle. And when the boy got to the top, he said, Kyle, open your eyes. And when Kyle did, the mountains just started spinning and spinning around him. He could not gain his bearings. So his friend laid his hands on him and prayed immediately. Kyle opened his eyes again. The mountains are still moving. 
he finally got to the place where he could focus at least on the palm of his hand, and they got him to the bottom. Why did this happen? Did Kyle not do enough devotions in the morning? Did he not go to chapel enough? Did he not raise his hands quite high enough for the protection of the Lord? What is the deal? Why did this happen? They're doing everything right. They're taking every precaution. They're doing everything that the Lord wants them to do. And he still got pelted in the head by a rock. Why does this happen? Don't we all get to this place in our lives where we say, why do these things happen? What am I doing? Am I sinning? Am I not giving enough offering? What is it, Lord? What is it? And this is what the enemy does. He makes you focus on that. And the good thing about it is that this question has been asked since Jesus himself has been walking on this earth. Him and his buddies are walking around back when Jesus was here, and they said to him, uh, Rabbi, they see this, this man blind from birth, and they said, who sinned? This man and his, or his parents that he was born blind. It's the same question we ask. Lord, what the heck? What the heck? Whose sin is this? What are we doing wrong? And Jesus answers it for all. He says, neither. This man nor his parents sin, but this happened so that the works of God may be displayed in him. That's the dis- distinction. We gotta change our perspective as to not why is this happening to us, but rather, Where's God's hand in this? Where is God's hand in this? Circumstances aren't going to change, but our perspective can change. So where is God's hand in this? So I get the phone call that every mother imagines. We've all imagined this. Like, what would we do? How do we handle this? If we ever get this phone call, it is exactly what you think you would do and how you'd handle it. It's horrible. So the phone rings, and Kyle doesn't call that often. He's in college. He's got no time for us. So when Kyle calls, it's like, children, gather around. Kyle is calling. And I answered the phone, and it's his friend. And you know that's never good when the friend calls on vacation. And he told me that Kyle has been um, struck in the head and that they have him in an ambulance, and they're taking him an hour to the closest hospital. And at that point, you know, you don't want to overreact because you know what? It's probably a concussion. Who doesn't get a concussion? Every sports figure, they make movies about it. It's whatever. We can deal with a concussion. So they were driving in the ambulance an hour away. They got Kyle into his uh, head scan. And the boys were so confident that it was a concussion. They were sitting in the car waiting to go to In-N-Out Burger because they're in California. You have to go get In-N-Out Burgers. And Kyle is alone waiting for his results for his head scan. The doctor came rushing in and told Kyle that his skull was fractured and he had two brain bleeds and he had to get helicoptered out immediately to Fresno's, uh, it's a a level one uh, trauma unit and go to the ICU immediately. That is the worst case scenario. Kyle looked at the doctor and he's all alone by himself with this news and he looks at the doctor and he says, am I gonna die? And the doctor goes, we don't know, but you're going to a place where you're gonna get the best help, we can't help you here. He is 21 years old, alone on a gurney, getting ready to get taken by helicopter to a level one trauma unit. Those are not good circumstances. 
So they get their friends in, and I get the second call, and that was even worse than the first. So now it's about midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning our time, and I get this news, and I quickly go to the computer to get myself a flight, which of course you can't get a flight at 1 o'clock in the morning, and I say to David, let's go, pack our bags, let's get in the car. And David reminds me it would take five days for us to drive out to California. There was literally nothing I could do except for look at Kyle's location to know how far away he is. So we, I um, called the hospital in the morning trying to get um, any information on Kyle because he has a brain injury and he can't um, have his cell phone and I don't know enough to tell the doctors to call me because he's an adult and they don't just randomly call mothers. And I call the hospital and I said, I need to know what's going on with my son Kyle. I need to know. And they talked about HIPAA and I was having none of that. I am in Cal I, they are in California, I am in Connecticut. You need to let me know, lady, mother to mother. And she said, you need to get out here immediately. So I packed my stuff, and off David took me to um, Boston to fly out to go see my son. But before we did that, we reached out for help to you, the body of Christ. Romans 12.5 says, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In 1 Corinthians, I love how it says this. It says, But God has put the body together so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. I have never seen those words come to life like this before. You see, you guys could pray for what I could not. I could not pray for my son because I'm praying out of fear. I could not pray for myself because I'm just trying to get to California. And the body of Christ rose up in such a tangible way. We had between 20 and 30 churches and congregations praying. We had Bible studies taking major portions of their Bible study going before the Lord on our behalf. We've had people in other continents and other countries laying themselves down and praying for a miracle for my son. And, and not only that, but for my family. And, and it makes Philippians, that verse in Philippians um, 4, 5 through 7 says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That verse came to life. That peace that everyone's talking about that you don't understand I experience that as I'm sitting in the airport waiting to get on to go see my kid in the ICU. I was so afraid. Having peace doesn't mean you're not afraid. I was so afraid, but I knew my father was with me. I did not, I cannot look at you and tell you, I just knew everything was going to be okay. I did not. We didn't know how long I was going to be gone. We didn't know how bad Kyle was. We didn't know anything. It was not about knowing that the future was secure with my son. It was about feeling the presence of God that only you could have brought to me because I could not do it myself. I couldn't do it myself. That's the body of Christ, and that's the peace that we don't get. It's not about the feelings. It's about what you guys did in the heavenly and brought it down to earth. 
when um, Bill Burchell, who works for American, found out that I was going to be flying on his aircraft, he quickly called the pilot and the crew to let them know a very emotionally disturbed woman would be entering the plane that day. <laughs> and what he really did was he tried to help a friend out, and he got me a much better seat. But the reality was is that Bill heard from the Holy Spirit to move my seat. And when I got onto the plane, there was a woman sitting next to me, and she had heard what had happened, and she said, you know, your son was an accident. Can, can you tell me about this? So I told her the story about Kyle, and she started asking me questions. And, and because the, the flight was delayed so much, I thought I was going to miss my connecting flight, and all I wanted to do was get to Fresno. And she was asking me questions. Where are you staying? Where are you going? What happened? What's your husband's number? And I gave her all that. I should have asked more questions, but you want David's number? Here you go. And she... I had no idea where I was staying. I had, I had no plans except for a suitcase in my hand. That's all I had. She then called David. She called the hospital. She called the hotel to set me up with a hotel. She got on her little um, computer, and she made sure that I was going to get a connecting flight. This woman handed me her headphones and said, I want you to watch movies and try to relax. I'm going to take care of everything else for you. That is the hand of God. That is the hint of God. I did not deserve that. I was just sitting there. And when Bill Birchall hears a, a, small, a small voice, he responds, and look what happens. That is the hand of God. So I get to Fresno. The woman literally walks me to my gate. She makes sure that I'm good. And I get to the trauma unit in Fresno. And there's something about the trauma unit. It's like no other corridor in the hospital. It is dark, it is depressing, it is sad, it is, it's just terrible. But my, my son's friends are with me, so I cannot throw a baby fit. I cannot, I've got to keep it together. And they put the code in to get into the trauma unit, and you just walk by, and you just see everyone on respirators, and you just see the worst. And you walk into Kyle's room, and he's got his bandages, and his IVs, and all of the things you don't want to see as a mom but he was okay. He was okay. And I got to see him. And there's nurses and doctors and everyone is around him. And this is now like one or two in the morning. And the boys had to go because they had to go to a different um, part of California. But before they left, they all gathered around his hospital bed and they laid hands on him and they prayed for him in front of all the nurses and all the doctors. Do you think that God was glorified in that moment that a bunch of college kids are calling out to Jesus Christ for healing. Glory and honor and praise to the Lord. That's the hand of God. That's the hand of God. The nurse said to me, they do this every time they leave. What is this? Multiple doctors said, well, where did these boys go to school? Who are these kids? When you think spring break on college, you don't think of prayer and you don't think of giving God the worship and the honor. Yet these boys did exactly that. That is the hand of God. That's what he's talking about. All things work together to show God's goodness. So he had more scans done. And the doctors came to me, and, and they were, he was going to spend probably a week in the ICU and then a week in um, the step-down unit. 
the doctors had a big feeding and they came to me and they said, you know, his scans and his behavior, they are not matching. They're not matching. We don't understand it, but they're not matching. And we've never done this before out of the ICU. Actually, we don't even know how to do this, but we can discharge him to you if you want. And I was like, this is a miracle. Like, Kyle is going to come home, and he's coming right from the ICU. That is such a miracle. And then I thought, oh, my gosh. Kyle's going to come home, and it's going to be my responsibility now. Like, he has been monitored now 24 solid hours a day since this happened. But it was such a hand of God that he would take this boy with two brain bleeds, and the doctors are saying, let's get him, let's get him home. Let's get him back home. So at this point in Kyle's recovery, he was up for maybe 45 minutes to an hour, and then he would have to sleep for four to five hours. So it was very difficult doing anything with him because after 30 minutes, he would just glaze over, and you had to get him to sleep. He had to recover. Your brain is very different than anything else. You cannot push it. So I, I'm literally, I take my boy from the hospital, and I can tell you that I was more scared that day than I was the day that I took him home from the hospital when I had him. It was like, okay, here we go. We're in Fresno with no car, with no food, a hotel that some random woman got me, and um, here we go. So we get him back to the hospital, and he's got to take another four-hour nap because he's been up for a half an hour since discharge. And now I have to get him food, and I have to get him medication. How do you do that? I have no car, and the people that um, in the hospital said to me, do not walk around Fresno. It's not a good area. So do I leave Kyle at the hotel and just sprint to the, to the CVS to get his medication? What do you do? So he's sleeping, and I, and I have my phone, and my phone goes completely dead. And I'm going, what would David do? What would not what Jesus do? What would David do in this situation? <laughs> Nothing was coming to me. And my phone goes dead, and I take Kyle's phone, and, and a girl texts him named Kelly. Now, Kelly, I need to under, you need to understand is that a couple of days before the Fresno incident, he, him and his buddies met a bunch of people that they knew at Santa Barbara. And this girl, Kelly, was a friend of a friend. So no connection whatsoever to Kyle and his group of friends. Not even a friend of Kyle's friend. It was a friend of a friend. Very removed. And they met um, at, at the beach, spent the day together. Well, Kelly just happened to live in Fresno, 15 minutes away. Again, hand of God. Okay, she wasn't supposed to be there. And she texts Kyle, Hi, Kyle. I wanted to invite you and your mom over for dinner and to stay at our house until you can get a flight out of Fresno. That is the hand of God. Now, I'm going to be honest here. I don't really like staying at people's houses I don't know. I don't want to eat someone's food that I don't know. Very anxious but desperate times. I'm either stuck in a hotel in Fresno where I'm going to have to sprint to the Taco Bell or I'm going to go to this house that I don't know. I'm like, Kyle, we don't, like, is it dirty? Is like, what? Like, this is, this is really risky here. So we, we pack up and the girl was here within 15 minutes, packs us all up, gets us medication, and we go to this woman's house and it is like a museum. It is picture-perfect, beautiful mansion type of house. And we go in, Kyle has dinner, sleeps some more, 
I get his medication. I get our flights ready. Totally the hand of God. And the next day, when I uh, thanked the husband, I can't remember their names. That's how exhausted we were. I don't remember their names. But when I went to the husband and I said, you know, thank you so much for having us. Like, this was so above and beyond. He's told me that his wife was having a hard time letting people in their home. That it was a, a, like a shrine and a museum and it was always clean and the Lord had been convicting her lately that she needed to open up her home for ministry. She needed to start having people over. And she finally said, okay, yes, Lord, if you send some people, I will say yes. Here we are. Here we are. But that is the God that we serve. This woman had to say yes and she's such a blessing to me, but that's what that scripture is saying. All things... For this woman, it was God meeting her where she's at, saying, okay, you want to say yes to me? Here's some people. Here you go. That is what this verse is saying. The hand of God moves in such a way that it's not just for me, it's for me and you, for all who loves the Lord. It's so awesome that that is the God we serve. It reminds me of the parable of the sheep, where, you know, a shepherd has 100 sheep, and when one goes away, he leaves the 99 and looks for that one. And, and I know that it's talking about salvation, and we were all that one at some point in our life, that and God came down and got us. And we've all been there. But I also think that we have been talked about as sheep a lot in the Bible, and God is our shepherd. And I know for myself in my Christian walk, I still get lost. I still wander away from the flock from time to time, especially when there's disappointment or fear or all of these dark times in our lives. I am a sheep that walks away, and I still believe that God still leaves the 99 for us. I still believe that God is such a personal God that he looks at every situation and leaves the 99 for us. So we get Kyle to Virginia. A lot of debacles happen there, but we got him safely back to Virginia. And we are in a war now with insurance and doctors. And it's so frustrating. We need Kyle. He's still sleeping 20 hours a day. He's doing well, but he's still sleeping 20 hours a day, and we need to get him into a doctor before we go back. Now, the problem is the insurance says we need the doctor to give him an appointment, and then the doctor says we need the insurance to approve of the appointment. So it's a huge cycle of frustration. And David would literally go down to the doctors and just sit in the waiting room. Can you help me now? Can you help me now? He would just go literally daily that they got to know him on a first-name basis, and he would call the insurance probably six times a day. Can I, do you want me to call another 15 minutes? What do you want us to do? They would not come together. Very, very frustrating. And this particular day, I was incredibly frustrated by it because we needed to go home soon. We had already missed Cindy's birthday. We missed Mason's license. We've missed tons of things at home. We need to get back home, but we need to have Kyle seen. And we were staying with my in-laws. And I need to under, you need to understand something about my mother-in-law. She is a very, very godly woman. This woman eats and breathes the Bible. Like, she is so, she prays for the nation. She, if she knew you, she'd pray for you. She just prays for everyone. She's on every mission board. She's on every serving board. This woman is all about the Bible. However, she also gives money to everything. Anything that comes into her home that says Jesus on it, she will absolutely send a check 
no matter what. She actually had a, one of them said, for every $1.99 you give, one soul is saved. And I was like, how do you calculate that? And if that is actually true, like how could we ever as Christians go and get a Big Mac because that's like two lives for one sandwich. Or like forget about getting pizza, that's like 10 people right there that we could sell from, save from hell, but instead we're having pizza? Like, how do you calculate this? This is crazy. But she will give money if, if it is about spreading the gospel. So I'm really frustrated. And I walk out, and she's got her Bible, and I'm, I'm venting. I'm venting. I can't believe this, this stupid insurance, and, and what are we going to do? And she opens up her Bible, and she's like, you know what? I have a verse for you. And I was like, I'm not having this. Have you guys been there when you're going through a hard time and someone's like, let me read you a psalm? And you're like, hmm. I don't think that's a good choice right now. So she did. And she opened up. She's like, I have a verse for you. And she reads it. And it is not applicable to insurance at all. And I looked at her and I said, how does that change my situation? Does that change the doctors? Does that give my son an appointment? What does it do? Because tell me, I want to know. And I was so mad, and I went off on my mother-in-law. And she literally looked at the Bible, and she goes, okay, you didn't like that Bible. Okay, that verse, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, ah. Like, no one goes off on my mother-in-law. Like, she, you're, she's too nice. Like, you don't do that. But Romans says all things work together. So does that mean that my bad behavior will somehow work together for that? So the following day, when she asked me if I would go to her, her women's Bible study and, and talk about Kyle and the testimony, out of my guilt for my bad behavior, I said I would go. And I was not happy about it. But I had to pay the penance because no one goes off on Emily for no reason. So I said, David, you got to bring me because I'm not staying for this whole Bible study. Stay in the car. I'm going to go in. Make a run for it when I'm done. And, I, and so Dave was like, all right. So I walk in, and there, I, I asked where Emily was, and there was two Bible studies going on. And as I walked in, the Lord said to me so clearly, there's a woman I want you to minister in this room. She's dealing with fear from her children, and I need you to tell the testimony of Kyle and deal specifically with fear raising children. And there's a woman who's dealing in this um, Bible study that is dealing with feeling insignificant in me that I don't hear her voice, and I need you to deal with that. And I thought, man, God uses us when we are bratty and nasty and doing things not because we want to minister. I wanted nothing to do with it. But it doesn't matter what we wanted. It matters that God had the 99 here, and he needed to talk to this one over here. And it didn't matter how I was behaving. He's getting to that one. He's getting to that one. So I did. I went in, and I did exactly what he said. And a woman in the background just sobbing. Because that woman needed to know that God heard her and her prayers helped move heaven and earth so that my son would be okay. She needed to know that specifically. And this woman over here had such fear over her children, she lost the joy of raising children. And she needed to know that God had her children in her hand regardless of the circumstance. And he needed this crazy woman from Connecticut to fly into Virginia to give her that message because that's the God that we serve. 
He moves heaven and earth for the one. And sometimes we get to be the one, and sometimes we get to be the one to help the one. And both are equally producing in joy. And that is the coolest thing about the Lord. I want to finish. The worship team is going to come up. And I want, to, I, I want to read Isaiah 61. Because this is a verse for, for you and for me and for the church. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, not when we feel like it, not when our circumstances are good, not when we're in the mood for ministry. It is all the time. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. We are to comfort those who mourn and provide for those who grieve. And this is what the Lord does for us. He takes our ashes and he turns them into beauty. He takes the junk in our lives and he transforms it out. He says, in the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of despair, and then we will be called oaks of righteousness for the display of him and his name. He is taking all of those things in our lives. You have a bad childhood that you have been victimized over and over. Trade it up for the Lord. Because he will take that and he will instead return to such an unbelievable place of victory and boldness for him. Do you have fear? Because he's going to take that and he is going to give you unbelievable strength in him. You no longer have to battle that. Do you have depression? Because he will take that and transform it. We serve a God who does huge things with the junk in our lives. It says... Do you have shame? Because we all carry some shame of the things that we have done. If you have shame today, it says you will receive a double portion of his blessing. A double, not just a single. You bring your shame up here, he will transform it into blessing. You have disgrace of your past, he will transform it and you will rejoice in your inheritance in the Lord. There is nothing that the Lord cannot cover over. And it's for you and it's for you today. Come forward and bring everything we have to the Lord because he wants to transform your lives in a huge, unbelievable way. And let me tell you, that woman that I sat next to on the plane, David sent her a text a couple weeks later and, and he said, thank you for being with my wife on the worst day of her life. She texted back and said that she never flies coach. She only flies first class and that she happened to get on that plane that day because they had an opening and she ended up taking it. Two months before, her sister who lives in Germany, her nephew got into a similar accident as Kyle. He got hit in the head and had a brain injury and he died. And she could not be there for him. But God saw this as an opportunity for healing. So when she helped me, the Lord upgraded her to have healing in that situation. See, I'm thinking the blessing is for me because she gave me headphones. The blessing was for her because God left the 99 that day 
for her. Trade in your sorrow, guys. Trade in your shame because we serve a great God. Let's worship.